Halo, halo, Sacred Icon listeners. We used to do ads for other people, but I decided, why don't we do one for ourselves? Whether you're here listening to us for the first time or you've heard every episode, I'd like to briefly tell you what we're about and how you can support us. We have been doing this podcast since 2019, and with that has come lots of changes. We started as a primarily Halo-only show, but have evolved, combat evolved, over the years to talk about a wide variety of things in the realm of nerd culture. As you can imagine, we've made numerous changes to our platforms, usernames, and emails over the years, so now is the time for me to set things right and give the Covenant back their bomb. You can join our Discord by clicking the link included on our podcast feed. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacrediconpodcast at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash sacredicon, and we no longer use Twitter or X or whatever else the kids are calling it these days. So if you see someone who looks like us there, just know it's not us. Lastly, you can support us on patreon.com slash sacredicon and receive a bevy of bonus content. We're so glad you chose us to be the voice in your ear on this particular day and hope you enjoy the episode ahead. Halo, halo, Sacred Icon Halo listeners. This is Brian, and I am with another guest here today, uh, someone you may know from the Halo community, um, Alex. He goes by Haruspis. How are you doing, Alex? Hello there. Doing very well, thank you. I remember the first time I ever came across your name. I It was probably 2013 or 14. Were you, were you active in 2013? Oh, yes. Yes, that was uh, when it all started. Okay, I thought so, because... Basically, without making it a long story, I was a big fan of Halo 4, and when that game came out, I was part of the NeoGAF forums. I'm sure you're aware of those. Yes. And at the time, <laughs> I couldn't find anyone to, to to get on the same page as me because I oh, enjoyed that game so much. Yeah, a little bit. I, I, you've, you've been in your fair share of uh, civil disagreements, right? <laughs> uh, every now and then. The thing I like about you though is that you have such extensive material to back it up you know that's you know it's more than uh, most can say yeah it's very much my approach you know whenever i get to writing an article for instance every quote in there is sourced from research that i have done either you know something that exists in the domain that is my my halo brain or something that i have you know properly researched by watching either YouTube interviews, going back through old text interviews, all that sort of thing, Vidox. Because I do that anyway. I, part, part of being a Halo fan is just indulging in all that all that mm-hmm. old peripheral kind of media that got you so excited at the time about it and just becomes part of the sort of base memory of, of the series. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's funny that you say that because when I would... You know, I would be searching, Googling, trying to find, you know, positive Halo 4 opinions and things to, you know, articles and things to back up my opinion on on certain topics, whether it be, I'm sure you've heard the, well, I know because from your articles, of course you have, but the age-old conversation of, you know, forerunners, where they intended to be humans, where they mm-hmm. intended to be, you know, an alien, different alien species, and, mm-hmm. and there's lots of disagreements about that, about Bungie's plans, 343's plans, and I would stumble across your, your, uh, your blog and... I would read through your your blog and I would find like you'd have a link to an old tweet from some old employee. And the funny thing is, me being such a Halo enthusiast myself, I already had like a uh, like a notepad on my computer with links to different tweets that I had went back and dug through, and you had the same ones. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, like I not only do I already like believe what I'm reading, but I've 
literally seen those tweets myself. Like I'm pulling up something from, you know, Paul Russell or or Paul Bertone or just some random old bungee mm. employee, you know. And a shout out to to Paul Russell. He was very open in those conversations. Uh, it was back during the Halo Archive days when uh, that was like the, our big sort of community forum for, for the law community. And we engaged him with some questions and he, he very graciously responded. And it's Halo history that uh, isn't really openly available in other places. Yeah, it's, it's so cool that the, you know, there's one of the things that makes Halo so special, obviously, is it's lore, but it's real world lore. Like the way <laughs> yeah. that it's come about is also just as interesting. It's a universe unto itself. It is. It's it's fascinating. And the thing is, for someone like you or, you or I, and obviously I don't go into... While I feel like I do some pretty deep diving for my own personal knowledge, obviously I don't go to the extensive limits that you do, but uh, when you're surrounded by people, either friends in real life or Twitter or whatnot, and you're able to share some deep, deep, earthy thing that they didn't know about, you can just see the look on their face of shock and awe about it. I, uh, I actually had a co-worker who, uh, he, he is a Halo fan, and he's been a Halo fan for a long time, but he sort of like was a bit out of the loop with the series in the last three or four years or so. So as I was catching him up and going through all the, uh, you know, all the stuff that's happened uh, and we're just talking opposite each other, sat at opposite desks at, at work. And he's, I could just see the look on his face as all these like story beats start aligning in his head and he's connecting them back. And I was like, you know, oh, th this is good. This is quite nice. Nice feeling. Yeah, I, I totally relate to that, man. I don't know if you had heard from the podcast before, but I've talked to Josh. Like Josh has told his story before. Basically, we were we were playing Mario Kart at a friend's house, and this was after, I think it was a good solid year or more after Halo 4 had come out, and he had just played Halo 4 once. He was disappointed with it, didn't feel like it went in a very good direction, didn't feel very Halo. Um, and we were sitting there playing Mario Kart, and I started explaining to him about Greg Bear's novels, about the Ecumen Council, the you know the the didactic master builder. I just started going deep down that rabbit hole, and you could just see Josh's eyes like <laughs> dilating, you know, like, He's like, whoa! All this stuff plays into it, and then like, I'll be like, yeah, you remember when, you remember when three four three guilty spark said the last time I asked you, you know, having time to reconsider, <laughs> it was because of this moment from from the isodidact, and he's just like, you know, mind blown. I'm sure you've seen it countless times. Oh yes, uh, it's funny, like you know, once you know that context, it sort of it becomes part of how you see the text, how you understand it, mm -hmm. and for a lot of people, really enhances it. And uh, what ultimately I think. Halo should really look to going forwards that maybe Halo 4 fell a bit short on is making that more accessible for people because obviously Halo 4 uh, during development they had an issue where they had to remove the terminals from the game it was originally planned to be in-game but they had disk space issues so they couldn't have them they had to move them onto waypoint and as a result you know you you do lose something from that uh, compared to say Halo 1 anniversary where you just go you're in the level you find a terminal you watch it, you're back in, there's no interruption. Yeah. It's kind of a, it's, it's crazy the, the differences between the approach of Bungie and 343. Um, just because Bungie, you know, and I, I don't say this from a negative standpoint at all because there's things from Bungie I love, things from 343 I love, but with Bungie it very much seemed they set out to make a game, they made a game the way they wanted to make it, and if the lore was damned, let it be damned. <laughs> <laughs> and 343 is like, we're going to go so next level with the lore that you're going to need to go to channels and books and comics and, <laughs> yes. you know, and, and, and consult with Haruspis to figure out what's going on. <laughs> it's fun. It is, both both approach, approaches obviously have their, uh, their merits because with Bungie, 
it's very easy to just jump straight into that story and you're, you're, you're there on the same page mm -hmm. as the characters and it's simple and you kind of get out of it what you put into it and you know it's a perfectly valid way of, uh, of telling that story but of course as things went on there developed more of a kind of appetite for some of that deeper kind of fiction especially after reach you know a lot of people sort of felt like oh you know we strayed quite far from the books here we really wish that we could see a bit more of that reflected in in the stories that we tell and i think that was really a kind of influencing factor in a lot of stuff that you hear in interviews and that leading up to halo 4 from 343 yeah halo reach was a very uh, interesting thing itself because i loved the game from the get-go i loved the campaign i really enjoyed the story um and I, you know, I'm more forgiving and understanding of things than, than others might be. So I, I knew it conflicted with the book that I loved. And I wondered why such great moments of that book weren't covered in the game. <laughs> um, but, you know, Bungie, it was Bungie's baby. They, they did things the way they wanted to do. And, and to some extent, I respect that. But it's also it also kind of felt like, you know, the fall of Reach is such a, like it's a foundation of the Halo universe in my opinion. Yeah. And to just kind of, I know it wasn't, necessarily completely sanctioned and desired by them but at that point in time it had been around for about nine years mm. and it just seemed like you know as your final going out you kind of just and i know they consulted with eric nyland on the the journal as well so i give them some credit for that they tried to tie things together but it was just kind of like it didn't feel like they cared quite as much about the extended lore as the fans did yeah and you know it, it does feel especially like a bit of a twist of the knife when you learn the story behind uh, what Eric Troutman and Nyland and everyone went through in those formative years when Halo 1 was being made, you know, and how they were brought on to do a lot of the writing for Halo 1 and, and everything around that. It's, it's a fascinating story. It's a very tragic story as well, I think. It is, and I, you know, it's, it's hard to play. Like, I don't, I really, sometimes I get frustrated when people just ride the center and don't pick a side, and I feel like that's kind of what I'm doing in this conversation at the moment, but <laughs> it's like, there's the part of me that's like, if I created something, I want to be the the creator of it, the ruler of it. I want to have my way with it because I created it. And I very much respect that for Bungie wanting to do that. But at the same time, you look at Halo and what it's become and what it is, and it's a culmination of so many different influences that have made it a stellar universe. Yeah. It just couldn't be what it is without, you know, help. Yeah, you know, the, there was just that initial kind of misalignment of vision where Bungie really wanted to make a game. They wanted to make their game, and then they wanted to move on to something else. Perfectly natural, because that's what they'd been used to. But Microsoft obviously had a lot of pressure riding on them to build a console and a brand in a competing market. They wanted to build a series, a universe. And when you've got two people on such different pages there, it's very hard to kind of reconcile that. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. Um, but yeah, to take it forward into our, our main topic, um, I think it's interesting that we had talked about doing a having you on the podcast about two or three months ago. Uh, it was just something that we were uh, working into the schedule and uh, getting set up. And then we recently posted one of our tweets about Halo 3 and you know what does it mean to you. And um, you had a response to our tweet that got some unfavorable responses. Indeed. Um, it was uh, something that became a little controversial in the Halo community. Teeny bit. And what's that? <laughs> teeny bit. Just a teeny bit, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we 
our our motto with Sacred Icon Halo is just to remain positive and to, you know, not get involved in, in anything particularly drama-related. And, um, you know, with that particular instance, we didn't have... We didn't comment on that tweet, but me as a person solely, Brian, talking, not Sacred Icon as a whole, because I haven't, I haven't discussed with everyone behind the scenes what their personal opinions are, but it was something I read that I didn't necessarily agree with, hmm. but I very much read it as, you know, the opinion of another Halo user, and I respected your opinion, and, you know, I just kind of moved on from that, and as, as time went on and we've had some some days to simmer on it, I thought, you know... We, we've talked about doing an episode with Alex, and I think this would be a very good um, example of having a civil discussion about the things we like about Halo 3, um, because, you know, it, it's very much, and I'm not particularly talking about any particular person in the Halo community or in any community period. I'm just saying in general, it's very easy to let our own personal opinions make us feel like when someone disagrees with them, makes us feel attacked. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and I've, I'm just as guilty as anyone else is. Josh is as well. Just between friends, even Josh and I behind the scenes, we can have an opinion on how one thing's supposed to go or another. And it's just you you feel defensive. And I think it's very natural. And um, so I just thought we would have a discussion about Halo 3 and the things we liked about it because here we are at two opposing places on, you know, you have a, a certain opinion on Halo 3 that I might not have, and there's things that I might not like about Halo 3 that you don't like, and I thought we'd just discuss the the positives. There's definitely things I could say about Halo 3 I don't like, but, you know, as a sacred icon Halo, typical <laughs> thing to say, we're going to fix it on the positives today. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, I mean, obviously nobody actually... I, I think it's very rare somebody actually sets out to cause drama. Things spiral out of control very quickly, very easily, especially on a platform like Twitter, where... There is no nuance that one can really convey in 240 characters, regardless of how much of a, how long a thread you write. Um, so it's nice to kind of come in into a more kind of what 60, 90 minute uh, sort of slot we've got here yeah. to discuss some of the more positive things that we've got to say about the game. And you know there are very much positive things to say about it, as I stated at the beginning of the tweet, of course. This is the game of a generation. This is something that sort of defies how you anything you can really explain because it's so ingrained in the fan base's kind of memory as that holistic emotional experience where everyone's playing it. You played it with your friends, you played it with your family, with your people who met their partners through this game. This was at a time when online was you know, still very much in its infancy, following on from Halo 2, obviously. But uh, it was just starting to become the widespread phenomenon that it is today that we take for granted. So the, to say that there's there's nothing positive to say about Halo 3 is just an outright lie. Yeah, I, uh, you know, back when Halo 3 came out, I was 15 years old and I had all the hype in the world building for that game. And I've talked about it little bit here here and there in the past in the podcast but I very much I was disappointed with Halo 3 for a good while after it came out mm. and I it did it took me getting older and realizing that a lot of my disappointment came from expectations uh, being far higher than I could they could have ever met <laughs> it was less so with the actual game because the game had you know a stellar uh, suite of modes and just so much fun things to do and great moments in the campaign and mm. um, so 
but yeah, I definitely, I definitely understand where you're coming from, Alex, because I think, I thank God that I came to the Halo community with Sacred Icon Halo at the time I did, because just a few years ago, being a part of different uh, gaming forums and whatnot, there's several times where I let my opinion slip, you know, which doesn't, you, you think to yourself, it shouldn't be an issue, mm. um, but it ends up being a bigger issue than you thought. You know, you don't realize what kind of response you're going to get. So it's a very, oh, it's a very thin line to walk on uh, <laughs> on Twitter or just really any online community. Mm. Yeah, obviously when you had forums, of course, you had uh, kind of the latitude to take certain things for granted, you know, uh, in terms of you built this community and people know what you think, how you think, why you think it, because it's all archived and recorded in threads, whether they're ongoing or whether it's something from a little while ago. Uh, that This was the case on like Bungie.net. I remember I came, I came into the Halo fan base myself uh, 2007 during the summer when the Iris campaign for Halo 3 was going on, you know, mm. and the, the, Halo, the Bungie Universe forums were ablaze with speculation, the Halo 3 forum and, and everything, trying to piece together this kind of grand mystery while all the other marketing stuff was going on leading into the game. And that was my beginning in terms of the online fandom side of things. Mm, now, which, which Halo did you play first? Halo 1. Uh, okay, so you were from the beginning, okay. Yeah, I had no idea that it, that Halo was like a thing when I played it because I was seven years old and I went to a friend's house party and his dad had just come back from, uh, I think I think he had come back from some somewhere and uh, he had purchased an Xbox on the way back and uh, he invited all these people over to say, oh, I've got this, this new console, let's, let's play the game that it came with, happened to be Halo 1. And, uh, you know, we played through the first, well, I watched him play through the first level uh, right up to the start of the second where you come out of the escape pod and it's like, wow, this is unlike anything I've ever seen. Mm, yeah, I, I think everyone can resonate that thought. So I guess that has me curious now because I obviously because of the, the way in which I found you initially, I always associate, you know, Alex, Haruspis and Halo 4. They're all one continuous Excellent. thing that was that was the intention <laughs> <laughs> so so now i so now i'm cu really curious what was your favorite halo before halo 4 existed oh between one and two i really loved one and two uh halo one just has this kind of weird magical feeling to it that because i probably replayed it so many times to the point where i didn't even know halo 2 existed until 2006, several months after it released, I was still replaying Halo 1. Yeah. And then my friend comes back and he says, did you know that there's a Halo 2? No, I had no idea there's a Halo 2. <laughs> um, and of course, Halo 2 itself brought in the Arbiter, the Grave Mind, really expanded the story. Joe Staten went absolutely ham with these incredible ideas that, uh, you know, interestingly, met a lot of resistance at the time. The, the cliffhanger ending, the Grave Mind himself and the Arbiter. Um, but they were all things I really loved from the beginning. I thought I, I always wanted to see something different out of a sequel rather than just trying to redo Halo 1 again. And uh, Halo 2 certainly delivered that. Yeah, yeah, I very much, and like I said, I want to get, I definitely want to get onto the, the topic of positive things about Halo 3, but one thing I w I'd like to say on that is, you know, I always hold Halo 1 and 2 in a really high, special place for myself because I just feel like Halo 1, you know, it offered this very original, 
tight experience. And then Halo 2, everything it did, I can't think of how to put it properly, but it didn't just rehash one, like you said. It very much, it went in bold new directions with the, the, the story, the the split narrative between playing as the Arbiter and Chief. And I just feel like they both brought so much strong to the table. And then with Halo 3, you know, another game that I absolutely adore and have, mm. you know, mostly positive things to say about Halo 3. Halo 3 felt very much to me like taking a lot of the good things they've learned from 1 and 2 and culminating them into this one product that celebrated Halo. Definitely. You know, I think that was for, for all the... Uh hardships that Bungie had gone through obviously with Halo 1, 2 and 3 during development there's, uh, there's a big story behind uh, you know how Halo 3's development was uh, e- almost equally as troubled as Halo 2 but just in many different ways. They really pulled out all the stops to bring those revolutionary features to life and they absolutely succeeded in that. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, so I'll, I'll just jump us all over Halo 3 basically just to kind of get your impressions Alex. What what for you, who for you is the most interesting or well-written character of Halo 3? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, it, it's, it's funny because he kind of gets the least material out of it, but the Arbiter is kind of who I turn to uh, in this, even though he is sort of more the Robin to Chief's Batman in the game. I still think his whole arc that he goes through is very compelling regardless of any issues I might have with the delivery of it. Yeah, I would, I mean, I would have to agree with you on that. I think, I mean, what they gave us in Halo 2 for the Arbiter was just so strong and it's always, it's so easy to take a Halo top, it's, you're on one Halo topic and you go into another because immediately what I want to say is, you know, Arbiter was something that was frowned upon back when Halo 2 came out because everyone just wanted to play as the chief. But Mm. I think the reason that people have become so fond of him over time is that if you look back at Halo 2, you play Halo 2, the Arbiter story, his narrative, his background, the arc arc he's on was all so compelling and so well done Mm. that you can't really, you might wish that you could play as chief instead, but as far as introducing a new character, they did a pretty darn good job. And it makes me think of, it makes me think of Halo 5 and Agent Locke and how, you know, I'm not, I really enjoy Halo 5 and I've, I've really come to terms with a lot of things that I initially was disappointed with, but I don't feel like Locke has garnered the same appreciation and time that Arbiter has. And I feel like it's because he didn't earn his place narratively the same way Arbiter did. Would you agree with that? It's a shame because, <laughs> funnily enough, uh, Osiris and Locke is actually not only one of my favorite parts of Halo 5, but one of my favorite parts that one of my favorite things that 343 has introduced to Halo. So uh, it is unfortunate that uh, for whatever reason, and I'm sure that there are very many reasons that uh, the character has unfortunately not resonated in the way that I think he really should have. And, you know, I'm somebody who has gone to bat for Halo Nightfall, of all people, mm-hmm. uh, and of all things. So take that how you will. Yeah, um, I mean... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's fine, go well, I was just going to say, Gets, that's something that, because we recently, you know, made a post about Ford and the Dawn and talked mm. about that. And you had mentioned that, I think actually, I think I retweeted your articles on Nightfall. And um, I've watched Nightfall twice, 
both times I did not like it, but I'm the kind of person who is a Halo fan. I want to like it very much. So <laughs> when I eventually, which will probably be soon, rewatch Nightfall, I'm going to read your articles and really try to let it soak in because, I mean, I really just enjoyed the heck out of Ford and the Dawn, and mm. I want to like Nightfall. Um, and I, I, I really... didn't like Nightfall when I first watched it. I, mm. I was very much one of those people who was like, oh, you know, the second stories were so much better. I didn't really care for the for the main plot. Yeah. Um, because I went into it with a lot of expectations from what I had heard the story would be about. Oh, we're going back to Installation 04, a piece of the wreckage of it. The, the horror vibe, you've got Ridley Scott working on it. Obviously, yeah. this is going to be about the flood and everything. And it's not that. It's it's definitely not trying to be that. And I think it's very aware that that's what people want it to be. But it's it, it's kind of ambivalent towards what you want it to be. It says, no, this is about introducing Locke. This is about throwing him into the closest version, uh, one of the closest things Halo has to hell, and showing how he emerges as a good man. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I appreciate that it was done regardless, and I'm the kind of person who just more Halo is always something that <laughs> I will accept, and, and I'm glad that exists. I, I very much, I don't think they will because of, of past mistakes or, or things they've learned, but if they introduced another movie like Ford and Dawn Nightfall before Infinite, I would be very much on board. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, to bring it uh, bring it back into Halo 3, um, I hadn't decided for myself which character I, I would say is the best written in Halo 3, but I think you make a good case for Arbiter, even though, yeah, it's not, it's not like there's any particular character in Halo 3 that is just blowing your mind with the writing. Mm. Unless uh, we, you want to go into the terminals or, or that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, the terminals are very, very interesting. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like the Arbiter's... He gets he kind of gets to fulfill his arc in three. Like even if you said it wasn't done, maybe as perfectly as it could have been done. Um, but Chief, more or less, is you know he's a, a vehicle for the player in those games, and it's very much you know take out the Covenant, you know stop Truth, and the Arbiter had more personal stakes. Definitely, and uh, you know I do have some some things I wish they could have done with the Chief in that game. I did a whole character study article on uh, on the chief in Halo 3. I'd really loved it if we could have started the game showing him sort of at that low point where he is defeated on, on the Forerunner key ship, on the Anodyne Spirit, and is thrown from it where he crashes down to Earth. I would have really loved if we had started from that kind of low place and built up from there. I, I think that would have been a really sort of fun way to, to start the game. Now, am I, am I over, overlooking at this? Or like, but are, are you referencing kind of Halo Uprising? Yeah, that comic that took uh, a good two years to release after after Halo yeah. Three. Yeah, it's uh, for me the comic was a bit underwhelming, but the the stuff with Chief I found so interesting. I can't imagine if there was a level on that ship as well at the beginning of Halo Three. Mm, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that would have been the best way to start it, but yeah, you know, I mean, each Halo game begins on a ship, right? That's that's just something yeah. you take for granted, and and True. all of a sudden you play in Halo Three and you're not on that. Oh, what a departure from convention. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I I I would have loved to uh, try to fight my way fight my way to the, to truth and take him out, and then I can't remember the order of events. I think once he tries to take truth out, is that when he gets the brutes kind of pseudo capture him? Yeah, and it would have been cool to uh, to have that be truth's introduction rather than uh, you know, oh, I'm going to appear on your television screen and talk menacingly at you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, what would you say, Alex, is your personal favorite mission from Halo 3? The Covenant. 
I can say that just straight off the bat. The Covenant. Yeah. What a it's hard to beat that one. <laughs> just, it's, hard, it's hard to beat the Covenant. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, there, there are plenty of great missions in the game. Even the Earth missions, where I'm not so keen on the, the story or lack thereof in it. I think they're very well-designed missions uh, in a lot of cases. But once you get to the, the, the arc and you start going through all the forerunnery stuff and you've got this kind of sense of things culminating that's when Halo 3 just sort of like goes absolutely ham in, in giving you those unforgettable experiences I think yeah no I, I completely agree with you when I when I would play Halo 3 when I was younger and just kind of play the campaign campaign on re- repeat there'd be a lot of times where I wasn't really feeling it until about maybe about the level with when the flood ran reduced or right before the arc. Mm. And that's kind of where the story actually, you know, starts to become something, you know what yeah, I mean? Um, and, and I think, you know, we, we know that Halo three was the third act of Halo two and what they had planned for that wasn't long enough to make a game. Uh, at least that's what it seems like from what they said. Um, so the first few missions are, are kind of more or less filler, but I enjoy them nonetheless. Mm. Yeah, I think I think there were ways that they could have made them not filler by tying them a bit closely, more closely to the plot. And there are yeah. echoes of that in there. Like when Johnson gets captured, you know, often, you know, people go into Halo with the kind of perception, and it's relatively accurate, that the Covenant doesn't take prisoners. And so when you start seeing them kind of take prisoners, it's like, oh, why are they doing that? And then you could connect that to, well, Truth wants to go to the Ark. We don't yet know that the Ark is a different kind of location elsewhere outside the galaxy. But he's obviously going to need some humans to take with him to, to activate the rings, right? Yeah. that's I never thought of that. That's that's a great point. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Halo, Halo 3, once you get to, you get to the Ark... I feel like the Ark and the Covenant are way longer missions than the other missions in the game. <laughs> yes, they kind of go hand in hand. Like, I almost don't want to just play the Covenant in isolation. I want to play both of those missions. Yeah, they're the two the two missions standout missions in that game. And I feel like when people do like a top ten list of of Halo campaign missions, usually both of those are in there. Absolutely, and for good reason. Yeah, um, yeah, but I remember playing the Covenant the day that, that Halo Three came out, and I remember being like, I think it was riding on a mongoose back from who oh, i'm trying to think you come out of a building and there's like some some dropped weapons and a warthog and a couple of marines mm. this is like over halfway through the mission i think it's when you're on your way back to getting the hornet for the first time yeah and i remember saying to myself like the first night playing i'm like am i still on the same level like this level <laughs> just keeps going it's awesome and it just keeps going and going and going you know, and I, it's when you get to the Ark and, and the Covenant, they just, uh, they really just throw it all at you in, in, in the best possible way. Yeah, I, I think you would be hard-pressed to find anybody who played that campaign and said, those missions, I don't like them very much. I think everyone is kind of on the same page of like, yeah. this, is, this is the most Halo that Bungie, I think, they, they've gone all out on. Yeah, so no, I've got now that that makes me think. I've got a curveball for you. You're, you're somebody who often has um, opinions like on Nightfall or maybe Halo Four for some. I mean, I like I love Halo Four, but opinions that others don't see as often or they don't agree with so much. So I'm wondering, do you think Cortana from Halo Three is a great mission, underrated? <laughs> yes and no. Yes, mm-hmm. in the concept, 
And yes, in I know what the shape of that mission originally was, and I think it would have been amazing. Uh, uh, the old storyboards and uh, sort of this PowerPoint, I think it was Victor Leon posted some years ago, uh, detailed how the Arbiter was going to have this big fight in the mausoleum of the Arbiter. Uh, all the old dead Arbiters were going to be reanimated by the flood. And it's oh, just this man. really incredible image that popped in my head, yeah, where, you know, he's literally having to fight Covenant history and having that as kind of the culmination of his arc, tearing all that down after he's killed Truth is a really nice sort of final beat for him before the end of the game. So, like, I picture that in my head and I think, oh, man, you know, what that could have been. Um, but also... Um, the idea that you were going to plug Cortana into a scarab and she was going to blast the grave mind, so to speak, with its main cannon. And I just think, yeah, just that, that's the kind of gung-ho energy and sort of catharsis I was really, really looking for. I think that the reunion scene between them, as it is in the game, probably one of the most perfect scenes in Halo. Mm. Just this moment where time sort of stands still for, for just like this brief, so this brief amount of time, and then it's back into the action. And I think that's very emotionally charged sequence. But, you know, I do, I do think looking at those kind of storyboards and uh, the ideas that they had, it's like, ah, oh, this, this could have been people's favorite mission. Yeah. Um, I like, I love the idea of the the reanimated arbiters in the the mausoleum. Mm. I'm not I'm not so sold on Cortana activating the the scarab personally, but I could be convinced. I just need to see it. <laughs> it sounds kind of corny to me at first. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd probably take it over uh, the way you kind of quote unquote destroy high charity, where you use your your small arms fire to shoot three three little pod things, and it's like ah. We've overloaded its en its engines. We've got to get out of here. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> it's like, yeah, really? You're just we riding down high this, at that point. So. We took down this massive space station by just shooting an AR at three things? Awesome. They should have protected those better. Yeah. I, I could buy it if we had the Halo 1 pistol, but we didn't. Oh, yeah, Halo 1 pistol. I mean, you just shoot high charity from the ground and <laughs> it explodes. Wouldn't stand a chance. Yeah. Precursors themselves couldn't stand against it. Yeah, no. I uh, I love what you said about the scene and how it's one of the most perfect moments in Halo where, where uh, Chief finds Cortana because I always, when you say that, I immediately I get put back in that place and I think of the screen going black and you just hear in the complete quiet, no music, you found me, she yeah. says. And then those piano chimes. Yeah, and it's just, it's such a great moment and they just have that little, that little connection and, um, you know, it, the whole game's been telegraphing her her struggle mm. through the the what do you want to call those even the inner when she interrupts the screen <laughs> i think i think the general sort of go-to term is cortana moments and gravemind moments okay i i didn't so much not that i love them but i didn't so much mind the gravemind moments because they were so sparse like they just were there for that mission but yeah with i'm really surprised and i'm somebody who just you know i love halo and i love the lore so much that i don't mind seeing it over and over again but i'm really surprised that in 2020 they haven't put in an option or, or something to to turn off the cortana moments <laughs> i remember um this is going into halo 4 where uh frank o'connor showed this demo of the third mission forerunner before release where they're heading towards the uh, the final tower 
before you get to the Didax Cryptum Chamber. And uh, there's this bit where Cortana, there, there's sort of Halo 4's equivalent of a Cortana moment where your HUD starts glitching out. And I was like, oh no, we're going to have to go through this again. Oh, no. <laughs> Thankfully we didn't. It's just a bit of a HUD glitch and I will take that. I will happily take that. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that uh, when I played Halo 3 back in the day, I'm like, this is really cool because it's the first time. And then I, th I think as a couple years went on, I mean, even even by 2010, I'm thinking, why is this not something that can be turned off once you beat the game? <laughs> yes. It just interrupts the, the game flow entirely. I am grateful that you're invincible while they happen, though, if you've, in oh. that mission in particular. Talk about frustrating if you weren't. <laughs> Yikes. Okay, no, this is, man, I didn't even think about this coming into this discussion, but I cannot wait to pick your brain on this. And I'm sure you've, you probably have 18 articles out there about it already. I just wasn't <laughs> aware of. Um, but the Halo 3 terminals have always fascinated me. Oh, yes. And without, and I, I've obviously I've read them all over several times, and I, you know, I feel like I know much more than, you know, way more than your average uh, random person who plays Halo, but I wouldn't pretend to know it all. And with the... Um, the didact being mentioned in there just as the didact. Now, I want you, I would love to be corrected, but my mind immediately says that because of the way those terminals were written and the story that they wanted to tell through Greg Bear's novels, the only reason that we have an ISO and an ER didact is to course correct that. Am I way off? Probably. To a degree. Um, the terminals themselves, one of the main writers on that was actually Frank O'Connor, who worked uh, on the Forerunner saga with Greg and Chloe Bear. Um, so there is a degree to which, you know, that, that story is kind of his baby. Him, I think it was Damien Isla, and there is a third person whose name right now I'm forgetting. Um, but yeah, when you read those initial terminals in, in Halo 3, you're not really given any sort of reason to suspect that there are multiple didacts. Yeah, so, I mean, so is that, is that, does that mean I'm right? <laughs> Yes. Okay. And no. But mostly oh. yes. <laughs> okay. Because, I, I mean, I, I love the Greg Bear novels and pretty much everything that was done with those. So the, the, the concept of the erodidact and the isodidact mm. is completely fine by me. I just, when I read those uh, terminals, you know, long after playing Halo 4 again, I thought to myself, I can see how the idea for two different didacts needed to happen because of where he's at in the terminals. Definitely, you know, you. It, it's always most interesting for me when the the conflict becomes a conflict of the self, and in the Forerunner saga, it's a literal conflict of the self where you've got essentially the didact in two different mind states, where you've got one who has lived all this, all his all this experience of his prejudice, his loss of his children, and everything, all that tragic depth to him. But then you've got the isodidact where, you know, he imparted his wisdom into this young forerunner who has essentially gone the other way. And he doesn't have the same kind of like prejudices and those same that that same baggage really to, to handle. And he he is the one who is saddled with the uh, horrible responsibility of killing everything in the galaxy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, 
I think a lot, a lot of listeners would really appreciate if I ask this question. I'm going to ask this question, one, because I've partially forgotten, and then the other part is because, <laughs> you know, for people who aren't deep divers like us or, or maybe they don't want to read a full, you know, I, I hate to say it, that sounds bad. I, I want them to read your article, Alex. I apologize. <laughs> but, but they're long articles. I understand that people are just like, he has written tens of thousands of words in this. I don't have time for that. Well, there's, I can admit to there being times in the past where I've gone to your blog and I read one article and then I saw another article, so I read that one. And I started the third and I'm halfway through and I go, you know what? An hour and 20 minutes has passed. <laughs> and I just got to tell myself I'm done for now. Do you know, I horrify myself while I'm writing them and I see the, the scroll bar, the side of my screen, get ever so smaller over time. I'm like, I, I'm still going. I'm halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it surprises me sometimes. Um, so the question I want to ask you then is, so, and I'll clarify what I know. I, I knew about uh, Frank, kind of being Frank O'Connor's baby, so to say. I know he worked on the Irish campaign and the terminals in Halo mm. 3. Um, and what I've always believed, and I know that you have an article on this, and you may already have it written in stone, the answer, but I've always kind of believed that, and I'm bringing this up because it's interesting, the whole humans as forerunners, foreigners, it's aliens, mm -hmm. an alien species. Um, it seems to me, in my understanding, you can tell me if I'm wrong, that the originally when Halo 1 came out, it seemed as if they were kind of picturing forerunners as humans. Am I right so far? Yep. And then in 2, they were still kind of on that idea, hadn't really been embraced very much. And then into the transition to three, it started kind of being both. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. It, it is interesting because obviously in, in order to go into it, you can't just look at the law as is. You really kind of have to dig into the behind the scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, this is where we get to go back to uh, Mr. Paul Russell, who, uh, who helped us sort of figure this whole thing out, where he said that, uh, you know, Halo Law, when it first began, that Halo 1 was very much a telephone game. It was like things were what they needed to be at the time. Nothing was sort of set in stone. There were ideas that people thought were cool. We'll probably run with that. There were some ideas that got completely lost by the wayside. I mean, they originally thought that the Flood was going to be a Covenant bioweapon. It had yep. nothing to do with the Forerunners. So these things, you know, one people want to sort of get a set in stone answer and the reality of production and i can start saying this with more certainty since i've gotten into the gaming industry myself is it's never quite as perfectly planned as you think there are very rarely these sort of master plans which are as they were from the beginning totally intact when you get to the end these things change course corrections happen changes in writers in contexts you know, and everything happen. So to ask that question, you know, are humans and forerunners the same? Again, it's, it's yes and no. Sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't, sometimes they were both. We're now in a more definitive kind of area mm -hmm. uh, in terms of being able to say that. But even then, and this is something that I've, uh, I've been sort of stressing for a long time, um, there are hints that Forerunners and humans were once the same species in Greg Bear's books, because uh, there's this whole debate between uh, Forthenko, the Lord of Admirals, and Ipranik Rikushma, um, the political and strategy sort of um, person for the ancient humans, 
over humanity's original homeworld. Um, wherefore, Thanko believes that Earth was not, in fact, humanity's homeworld because he had visited other worlds where he saw evidence that this wasn't the case. And he discovered that the didact and librarian had also visited those worlds. And there's plenty more of like other stuff to dig into, but that would be a whole episode in itself. It's just, it's a mystery that has an answer, but at the same time, it doesn't. Yeah. You know, now, now I'm hearing you go talk about this. I'm thinking, man, when, when do I get a three hour uh, episode <laughs> with Alex where uh, we just, I just like, pepper you with questions and you can articulate it and then we, we can kind of throw that audio file out there and say hey for you people who want to know lore but don't want to read boom here's a here's a lore bomb it's always been my intention to try and find the time and the resources to get into doing kind of the the more sort of accessible youtube stuff because writing it down is is a nice way for me I, i'm a writer at heart so the act of researching and of planning and of writing it down in this kind of solid format where you can just read it. That's that's my thing. But it's not always the most accessible. And I do envy people. Like, I mean, you've seen how people like uh, Installation 00, for instance, they have really taken off in the law community. And for bloody good reason, because they're able to do these smaller chunks of law exploration where mm -hmm. you can talk about it and you can have that research be you know it come across in the way you deliver it through speech i really want to so for, for many years ever since i did the halo 4 level by level analysis people are like oh, are you gonna do youtube stuff i want to i really want to but i just don't have the time and resources yeah to, to some extent i feel like i i can i'm on the same page as you i've had several several different people you know ask when Sacred Icon Halo is going to have YouTube content. It seems like YouTube content is like the, for, for content creators, that's the end goal, I guess, <laughs> for the mainstream. And um, I'm of the opinion, you know, for me, I, I think the best thing, at least at this moment in time, that I offer is is the podcast, the, mm. um, you know, talking with different people and, and, and sharing our passion and enthusiasm for Halo. And I'm of the opinion that rather than, you know, chase something I'm not. I'm not currently ready for, or or to do something not well. I'd rather just do what I know I can do really well, really well. Absolutely, I completely agree with that. For you, that's definitely writing because you're. You know, there's. I mean, if if you have a, a, a nemesis or competitor in in writing about Halo, I haven't heard <laughs> about them. Um, and if you do, you probably don't want to mention them here because that would just give them more credibility. <laughs> just kidding. No, um, yeah, I'd very much encourage anyone who who finds that to be their format to to absolutely go for it. And you know, if that in, results in, I guess what you might call my position being usurped because of the quality of the content, then all the better for them, because uh, you know they deserve to have that. But it is very much I, I enjoy the unique kind of platform that i occupy with that yeah it doesn't seem like you're too crowded there is that correct i'd probably say so but you know i do want to whenever i do see people post like oh i've done a halo article you know want to support that and say yeah you know you're absolutely valid to be on this platform if this is what you you know are going with then make the best of it that's what I, that's what i really try to do yeah, I can't, and I really hope I'm not wrong here, because if I am, I'd love to be corrected. I don't want to say anything that's incorrect. I, but didn't you, I, I think I read some of number one Dr. Halsey fans' articles, um, and I think 
that person said that you were the reason they started doing that? <laughs> uh, Decepticon Cobra and I have been friends for a very long time, going back to the the Bungie Net days in oh two thousand eight two thousand nine. Okay, we, I didn't know that. Very cool. We have uh, we've done a lot of writing together. There's a there's a very embarrassing um, fan fiction collection that uh, that we did back in two thousand and ten called halo revolutions and i call it embarrassing because my story in that is absolutely dire and his is a masterpiece really uh, yeah so if you ever find that anthology you will find my name in there it's not harris Bliss, uh, obviously that hadn't come up yet but uh, mine is i think mine's the first story in there it's, it's actually it has echoes of halo renegades in there because it involves the librarian and earth in the modern day but um, he wrote this story called uh, Miss Isabella, I think it was. And it was this absolutely brilliant uh, sort of post-traumatic tale of a child who had uh, survived a covenant invasion and was being interviewed by Oni. And I think the, the, the big twist at the end is that she gets sent off uh, as, as a war orphan to join the Spartan 3 project. Oh, it's just brilliant stuff. Um, and it was it's like it. 10 years ago. And we had a great amount of fun writing it. But yeah, Cobra, he's great. That I inspired him to to start his own blog. You know, he writes incredible stuff himself. He's got brilliant in-depth views on Halo, so you should definitely check him out anyway. Yeah, I've 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 read a few of his articles. They were they were very good. It feels like this does he maybe not pr promote himself as much as you do? Is that possible? I, I feel think like I don't see as much. a bit less regular. Uh, he he's gotten into teaching, I believe. Uh, he's been very busy with that, and teaching is one of those things that uh, you know, I say I thank goodness that I cut out of it. Really eats up a lot of your life, so I think it's a time thing, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, I didn't know you guys had that uh, long friendship. That's that's great. I, you were talking, and did I? I just realized. Have I been mispronouncing your? Your name, not not Alex, but your your Harusmus. You know, Am I saying that wrong? Until there is an official canonical way of saying it, I'm just going to say say it however you want because uh, I, I say Haruspis myself. But uh, yeah, I heard you say that. And I felt bad. <laughs> Halo Canon says it differently. Uh, pretty much everyone I've spoken to has a different way of pronouncing it. It's like okay. Yeah. So where did I'm sure you've explained it before? Where did what's the origins of that name? <laughs> um, so the this is a name that. Uh, comes out of Halo Silentium, the third book in the Forerunner saga, and it comes up probably about three or four times in that entire book, and that is pretty much the only place in the Halo universe it's mentioned. And when I started the blog, I thought, I want to have a Halo name. I didn't actually start the blog with the intention of writing about Halo. That came naturally eventually when I found my niche. But uh, I was like, I, I need something obscure, something that, like, you know, no, nobody else would really call themselves, but also speaks to, you know, the area of the universe that I'm interested in. And so I was just flicking through Silentium. I was like, that, that sounds quite nice. I'm going to go with that. So that is, that's just basically the origin of it. That's crazy. You know, when I first saw the name, I thought that sounds like, very much sounds like some old forerunnery thing. And I've <laughs> read those books, but for some reason I didn't recall that that was from the book. You said it was only in there a few times. Yeah, um, it's at the, the very start of the book where... Uh, the it, basically one of the Harris is eaten by the domain, so to speak. 
and uh, it comes up again later in some offhanded mention and these are you know forerunners who study the domain and uh, sort of learn kind of its secrets and i thought oh that kind of applies to you know sort of the the narrative interrogation side of things that uh, that i'm interested in doing so it just seemed to align quite nicely yeah i think it fits very well for what you do <laughs> and, and your your knowledge of course um so i was kind of wondering with you know, with back on Halo Three, you know, and Halo Four being your your favorite Halo, how do you how do you feel about the the ending of Halo Three and the beginning of Halo Four and how that connects? Um, that's that's pretty much the question. Do you do you feel do you like how that's done? Did you is it the proper continuation? Just give me your thoughts on that. At a base level, you know, whatever negative things I would have to say about Halo Three. I really can't be that negative on it because it led straight into my favorite game in the series. So, you know, thank you, Halo 3, for being who, who and what you are. But, um, yeah, you know, the, I, I remember the, the years of speculation after Halo 3 had ended and ended in the way it did, where it showed the, what we then called the, le the legendary planet. <laughs> uh, and people were like, oh, it's it's Onyx, it's it's Marathon, we're leading directly into Marathon. And I just remember being on the side saying, no, it's neither of those things, because Onyx got blown up at the end of that book, and Bungie has stated that Halo and Marathon are two separate universes and there's not going to be a crossover. Interestingly, it would emerge later that Bungie had, at this point, planned Halo 4, the extent to which will vary depending on who you ask. Some people I've spoken to have said it was literally a conversation and then they decided nah. Whereas other people have said we put a lot of serious thought into this and it only turned into reach later. Um, but in terms of how those overlap, it's like it, it's, it goes straight into the story I really wanted to happen while also, you know, surprising me in ways that uh, I never expected it would. Yeah, I you know, I've I've read about that as well and and there's there's concept art Bungie did for their Halo 4 including a, a, a forerunner, isn't that correct? So that was actually for uh the Halo Chronicles project, uh, it turned out, where uh Joe Staten after he had left um during the process of writing Halo 3 uh, he went to go work on the Peter Jackson side of things. And that concept art, from my understanding, and I remember saving it on, when it appeared on Halopedia originally, and it was called Promethean, which is mad to me, because I don't know whether somebody had just chosen that name when they, when they saved the file to the site, or, or whether that was just literally it. But the concept of uh, that they were going to run with with Halo Chronicles was that you were going to eventually become a Promethean. You were going to be this augmented human who um, added all this forerunner technology to, to themselves. So the overlap, you know, 343 is, it has been reusing a lot of uh, established ideas that have been kind of left on the cutting room floor. And that was kind of one of them. So that's something I've always found very interesting. Yeah, it's actually, I don't know if you saw it, I made a tweet about that about three, four or five days ago. It was about Halo Chronicles and how you were supposed to turn into a Promethean. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, it's, it's, it is interesting how many things were, were there to begin with. And then it's also interesting the things that, that were completely created uh, by 343 in that time period. I, I don't know if it was Paul, I think it was Paul 
Russell as well, who said that the precursors was that was all three four three. Yeah, pretty much. We only uh, we got a brief mention of the precursors in the Halo Three Bestiarum. The um, if you got the limited or legendary edition of Halo Three, you got this little booklet. Uh, but I believe on the legendary edition, it was a digital thing on the second disc. But uh, I got the the limited edition. I missed out on the helmet, and I don't have the helmet, but I do have the little booklet. And you know what? I'd rather have the booklet and all this information and lore and everything. Yeah. No, I wish I had the helmet to be honest. Me too. Um, I need to get one. But at the at the very back end of the book, it lists the technological achievement tiers. Uh, so you've got like you know humans at tier three, I think it was, and uh, and all that. Forerunners at tier one, and then it lists tier zero uh, at the very top, and uh, it says that the, the forerunners believed in you know the precursors who could uh, accelerate evolution and all that sort of things. So, huh? Interesting. That's that's completely new news to me. I'm really I, I'm wow. I'm shocked. I didn't know that that was. I didn't know the word precursor was even muttered during the bunch. Yeah, yeah, literally the word itself. But uh, it's such an obscure piece of text that, you know, you can't really fault uh, Paul for probably not being aware of it because yeah. that might not have been something that he was working on. And uh, in the terminals as well, there is an indirect mention of the precursors where uh, the didact, then just the didact, um, says we can follow in their footsteps after firing the halo rings and there was a lot of speculation that like oh are they gonna go out and try and find the precursors uh, you know what's going on there because the there in his sentence was capitalized so it was obviously referring to a thing specifically hmm. man I, I i wonder and i'm sure you've you've thought of this before and there's really no, i don't think there's anything to go off of but what do you think bungie's halo 4 would have looked like Oh, interesting. From what we know in terms of the gameplay direction things went, I don't think it would have played too differently from, what we, uh, from what we have. Max Hoberman released a, um, a tweet last year, I think it was around summertime, where he talked about all the things that he wanted to implement into Halo multiplayer. And it was funny like going through it, like how much of it literally are the things that 343 ended up implementing, like increased wrapping of story around multiplayer, uh, emphasizing the role of uh, the flag carrier, all that sort of thing. But he also wanted stuff like uh, making you go prone and being able to select vehicles at the, at the start of the match, that sort of thing. So it would have been interesting to see how much further they might have taken things from both the formula that they had evolved into with Reach and also those directions that they had you know, put out as kind of a maybe when they were making Halo 3 even itself. In terms of the story, I honestly couldn't say, you know, it's it's an it's a entirely different creative team. I don't think it would be quite the same as what we got. I probably wouldn't have liked it as much, but I cannot say that definitively because it's a thing that we will never ever see. Well, I, I think that's a pretty fair assumption because if Halo 4 is your favorite Halo game, you know, you're not you're not asking for it to be done a different way. And <laughs> no. It came off on the heels of one of your least favorite, which was Halo Three, made by mm. that same team. Um, yeah. So, if if we eventually, I'm sure this will happen one day. I don't think it's really in Three Four Three's cards right now. But if we eventually got a Halo Three anniversary, would you like to see those terminals done with the sequence animation? Ooh, kind of and kind of not. What I would really like. Because this is, a, this is a problem, is that the terminals, as they are in the game, are practically unreadable. 
when you um, access them. And then you've got about seven seconds before you get redirected automatically to the next part of the text. So unless you're reading a paragraph a second and scrolling through those pages yeah. really quickly, you're missing out on so much stuff. And that accessibility is is key to, you know, getting people to understand it. Because I didn't read the terminals in Halo 3. I read the transcripts online. Same here. But, you know, I, and I would challenge anybody to, to go back through Halo 3 and read in in full those terminals. Please prove me wrong somebody yeah. out there. But, um, Record yourself doing it. <laughs> yeah, please. But uh, part of why those terminals are great are it is the written format. You know, when offensive bias describes throwing around these dreadnoughts like they're fighters and crushing the crew inside into liquescence, you can't really convey the horror of uh, offensive bias's detached description of that visually, I feel there would be a lot of things in there where I wouldn't want to see it. I want to imagine it. But by the same token, you know, there are bits in the terminals I would love to see, like Mendicant meeting the Gravemind and that whole conversation going mm -hmm. on. So there's like bits and pieces where it's like, oh, I want to see a bit of that. I never want to see that visualized ever. What I would really like, I think, is for, let, let's say that Halo 3 anniversary is happening. Make the, the text terminals, like, more readable so mm -hmm. that you can choose to move to the next section but have sequence uh you know the, the amazing ta amazingly talented people at the sequence group maybe have a couple of terminals which are adaptations from that but explore new areas of halo 3 as well because the thing about halo 3 that is actually a great strength of it is it's a very porous game there are lots of stories going on around you that you don't necessarily see and that you're not necessarily involved in. And I think that digging into those a bit more through sequences kind of style, whether it's forerunner era stuff, whether it's the battle going on at the arc, whether it's extra stuff on earth that's happening, tying into other established media we've got, that's what I'd really like to see. And I think that, you know, that would be quite doable. Yeah, I, I would be all for that. I kind of thought of the same idea as you were saying it with having the uh, terminals more readable and then maybe adding a couple additional terminals that were sequence group versions, mm. um, much like we have the terminals in, uh, well, like we have the skulls that aren't actually there in Halo 1. Yes. You could add a couple extra terminals. If I'm, I'm not sure what, what could be really done, but for an example, when Halo 2 Anniversary came out, Josh, uh, he now enjoys and likes Halo 2 more because one of his big issues with Halo 2 back in the day was the, the visuals. They were so brown and oh, yeah. and um, just kind of plain, and, and he really appreciates that game more as a whole now because of the anniversary treatment. Is there anything that a Halo 3 anniversary could do realistically that would make you, you know, like it more? Oh, yeah, I, th I think... Uh... The thing about Halo 3 is that in the cutscenes, there's not too much going on because Bungie's design philosophy is that the action happens in the gameplay. So when the cinematics happen, it's often just people talking. There's not like Halo Wars style action going yeah. on. So I feel like while Blur is incredibly expensive in that, they do have a lot of established assets in, in the Halo universe. So the extent to which those could be reused and 
how budget would work around that. Yeah. It's probably, I'd imagine Halo 3 is the most reasonably workable for that kind of format. So to have things like, you know, the, the other two elites, Entho and Usi, hanging around in certain cutscenes where that they would be cool. wow. appear, having maybe some, you know, they, they occasionally change the way the camera works in the other in Halo 2 Anniversary, sometimes to the betterment of the game, sometimes to its detriment. But uh, I think there's more stuff you can do in terms of what you show, how you show it. And Blur's got this great cinematic vision um, in terms of how they both adapt and show new things. So I think that I'm actually all for a Halo 3 Anniversary, despite not really, like, not needing it, not being Same somebody here. who thinks, like, oh, this needs to be a thing. I agree. But if it were to happen, I feel like I would appreciate Halo 3 a lot more for what it could offer. I'm in the exact same boat. Uh, I, I definitely don't think it's needed, um, but I would definitely welcome it. And um, for me, aesthetically, Halo 3, and it's a, I mean, it, it, its art style is beautiful, but aesthetically oh, yeah. it was my least favorite of the three. Um, so I could, I, could, I could appreciate an anniversary treatment. I think visually... Halo 1 would probably stick as my favorite, but and Halo 3 would be my second favorite. Mm. I would very much agree uh, with your fellow podcaster that, uh, that Halo 2, it's, its original visuals, you know, while it's an amazing game and it certainly pushed boundaries through its time, it was, especially in the Earth missions, very brown, very kind of muted. And then you got to Delta Halo and it was much nicer and, you know, you, you see the Covenant stuff and it's all nice and purple, but there are definitely muddy kind of visuals to that original and playing halo 2 anniversary is, is a revelation it, i agree it, entirely it, it's six years on almost since that came out and it still looks like it could have released yesterday same with halo 4 yeah i think everybody who you know every time a discussion comes up around halo 2 anniversary it's just everyone's still shocked we got something so well done you know? yes it just makes the game better i mean i i haven't seen a remaster so unanimously where people talk about how it's be this version's better than mm. the original. Yeah. I mean, Halo 1 Anniversary, take that, for example, where that's much more kind of split in terms of what people yeah. like, what people don't like. The the Guilty Spark mission, for example, is a big topic on that with how much lighter it is and how it loses kind of the original atmosphere, which that and that itself came from the limitations at the time with draw distance and everything. It, it's, it's a very interesting discussion. For sure. Um, and as I can, as you can see, we could discuss for hours. I, hours, and hours and hours. Hours, yes. And just, uh, just you know, you need you need to put out an album. Uh, it's called <laughs> it's called Haruspus the album because if I could just listen to your voice talk Halo lore <laughs> for hours, I would fall asleep to it. And in a good, that's a, in a good way, yeah, not in a boring way. Yeah, uh, that would be. I'll, I'll look into that for you. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, we'll be waiting for the album to drop. It's on the to do list. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess uh, we we didn't even get, I know we didn't even get into the feature set and the multiplayer and all that, but I think we can agree the feature set for Halo Three was phenomenal. Are you on the same page? Yes, exactly. Um, the, the the final two questions I'll ask you about Halo Three, and we'll we'll go over some questions before we uh, knock this one out. Um, but what would you say is overall your favorite thing about Halo Three? I have many, 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 many fond memories of staying up way later than I should have at the age that I was with friends who were also in the same boat 
playing custom games, going through matchmaking, trying to rank up, trying to unlock armor, forging maps, playing on those maps, going through theater, taking screenshots, sharing them on my file share, going through other people's file shares. It's, it's nostalgic just to say it, you know, yeah. it was the realization of what multiplayer could be in video games, not just in Halo as a series, but as a holistic whole in the industry. And that impact will continue to influence games many years from now as they build off those ideas. That's yeah. really what Halo 3 means to me, I think, you know, in the positive sense is when I think about that game, I think about how from 2007 to 2010 and even slightly beyond that, because I went back to it after Reach didn't tickle my fancy quite so much and I played a lot more Halo 3. It, you, you, I look forward to it releasing on PC and, you know, how that experience is going to be maintained but also changed in new ways to to experience the games you couldn't on Xbox 360. I think that's the enduring kind of legacy the game's going to have. Yeah, I, I think the the feature set is just incredible. It's something that can't be praised enough. When I when I think back to 2007 and the Xbox 360, Halo 3 almost felt like a platform in itself. Yeah. You boot up that game, and, and it, it didn't necessarily mean you knew your friends knew what you were going to do because there was so much to do. Mm. Um, I'd and, play Call of Duty 4, you know, and I'd, I'd get on that for a few hours. I loved the campaign of that. I'd play the multiplayer for a little bit, but it was only for a little bit. I would then jump straight back into Halo 3, and I was, I would, you, you would be hard pressed to get me to stop playing it. Yeah, it's just. It's such. A, I feel like it's such a nostalgic time for everyone, whether it was your favorite Halo, least favorite Halo, whether you started with it or it was your third Halo. Um, it's actually kind of funny what, you know, I've been this big of a Halo enthusiast since I ever first, I first ever played Halo. I started with two back in 2004. Um, I played two first, but I've been a fan since then, and I've been just this avid, but what got me to this point where uh, I got with Josh and we started Sacred Icon Halo was... Um, I got married earlier this year. And, Congratulations. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, and about four months into being married, it was the, the anniversary of Halo 3. Mm. And everyone was sharing their thoughts and everything. And I was, you know, this sounds so corny, but I was almost, my eyes were almost watering at mm. the, the, the nostalgia and memories I had of it, you know, of Halo 3. Because you and I, we were uh, we were quite young when when that released. Yeah. You were you were fifteen, I think you said. Yes. Uh, I would have been thirteen myself, and it's such a formative experience yeah. to to have, and you can see and understand why it's so closely emotionally guarded, and even when I criticise it, it's coming from a place of, you know, it being closely emotionally guarded in the sense that I love what I love about it, but I really wish some parts had been. For, to my mind, better. Yeah, sometimes the things we're most critical of are the things we really love. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was Halo 3's anniversary, and I was just I was almost emotional at the thoughts of it, nostalgia, and how much time had passed. It was just crazy to me that 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 era is so far behind us, and it just meant so much. And so I, I had all that emotion, and and you know, um, I, I guess in some weird way, being married, it, it helped me have a. a I was able to focus on on a passion more because I was mm. chasing women. <laughs> if that that sounds you know kind of bad, but it's true. Um, so 
I was like, I need to do something about this. Like, I have such an outpouring of passion for Halo, and I don't know what to do with it. So I, I started writing. I don't, you know, I don't have any writing experience. I started writing Halo articles mm. on a WordPress and uh, putting them up on my personal uh, Twitter. And, you know, having a few small handful of people read them and they were nothing spectacular. It was just me spending hours pouring out my thoughts, uh, a passion for for Halo onto those articles. And uh, after doing that for a little while, um, I kind of said to Josh, I was like, you know, I'm thinking about maybe doing a podcast. And he was like, dude, if you do a podcast, I am all for that. (laughs) And uh, the thing that the thing that I didn't expect, you know, it's kind of like you said, you, you started writing and you, you found Halo was your, your niche. Um, I, we started this podcast and we built the Twitter to go with the podcast, but then I, I, I'm a very obsessive person by nature and I have an infinite backlog of questions about Halo in yes, my brain. Yes, I do worry, you know, will you run out because, uh, you know, I think it's several in a week that you manage to get out and it obviously it generates a lot of discussion, a lot of positivity and everything. I'm just like, oh, I hope that uh, I hope that he doesn't get to a point where he's feeling, oh, I don't have any more questions to ask you guys. Yeah, you know, I, I've thought that myself, uh, but I they just keep coming to me. And I just I think to myself, you know, how many years have I been? Because, you know, these questions I'm asking on Twitter these are the kind of questions I've been asking my friends and family for mm. a decade plus. Yeah. And uh, every time I think, because usually my, my precedent is I try to have one really good question a day for the community. And what ends up happening, if you look through, you know, Sacred Icon Halo's Twitter, it's usually about one every 12 hours mm. um, because I just have such a backlog of them in my head. But, you know, it's we've only, we've only been at it for about four months. So how long can it go? You know, <laughs> hopefully I can keep generating them. Well, I mean, uh, we've got Infinite coming uh, at the end oh, of this year. Oh, that's going to be so much material. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting the point we're at because we're so desperate for new stuff to come along because yeah. it's been the post-Halo 5 era for almost half a decade now. And obviously we had Halo Wars 2 in between that. We've had various expanded universe materials. But it's the mainline game, I think, that people are really sort of like looking to be that next step into into the new generation. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. It's just, you know, I, I'm so glad that we can, that the communities come together like they have right now. And we're all kind of, we're at the calm before the storm right now is what I keep saying. <laughs> yes. You know, with Halo Infinite. And uh, it's, it's ridiculous, the, you know, what the slightest bit of infinite information will bring out you know i think my <laughs> my very best question i've ever asked on twitter got a little over 600 likes wow or and but then when that you know the uh, xbox series x um you know that snippet of master chief running oh yeah those lovely I five post, seconds yeah i posted a picture of that with a really trivial you know you know they did a great job on the armor here and it was like almost 900 likes <laughs> And I was like, it wasn't because I did anything revolutionary or anything interesting. It was because people saw more infinite. Yeah. And I think it, the thing about Halo that really uh, a lot of other games have only sort of really been catching up with over the years is that it's such a visually striking presence, I think, in the industry that you can look at something from that series whatever it whatever it may be but certainly from the older games where you've got that emotional attachment and it's like a light bulb switches on for for everyone seeing it 
and it's just immediately like ideas and memories and emotions just come flowing through about it yeah for sure you know and now that we, we we're getting to this infinite discussion i'm thinking i had a question at the end we were going to go over some answers but if, if it's okay with you i think i'd just rather forgo that and talk with you about it for a little bit longer Is that okay? <laughs> absolutely that sounds great um, I want to. I'd like to ask you the same question I asked the the Shipleys I had on in the last guest episode. I said, "What would you to selfishly want from Infinite?" Because we we know what we've heard what the community wants and doesn't want, and and we know that that Halo games are not made for us specifically. But I always think it's interesting to hear, and and it it usually opens people up because everyone wants to share what they want. I want to know what you, Alex, would like selfishly for Infinite's story campaign to be? I hope the answer won't disappoint you, but I feel like in the last couple of years, I've really like sort of moved a bit away from that perspective in terms of how I'm looking at Infinite. Because, Me too, I'm with you, I'm with you. Because what, obviously Halo 5 is a very complex situation in terms of the things that disappointed us and why they disappointed us. But an undeniable part of that is the expectations that it raised. And I feel that 343 has been absolutely on the ball over the last year or two in how they're showing off Infinite in not saying stuff, but showing stuff and letting us do the talking about it, uh, rather than kind of locking themselves into certain decisions or certain perspectives. It's giving us a sense of the tone and of the atmosphere and everything and saying, this is what's coming. And obviously they're going to get into showing more stuff later this year when it's E3 and whatever. But I feel like in doing that, I've been able to kind of take a step back and say, I'm interested to see what Halo Infinite's going to be for what it's going to be rather than what I necessarily want it to be. And I do have some selfish wants. Um, you know, I would very much like to see the didact back and to to follow on from Halo 4 in the in the way that I wanted things to go. But I don't think that some of these things are realistic wants. And because of that, I'm keen to distance myself from them so that I don't go into Infinite saying, like, it needs to be this. Because it doesn't need to be. Yeah. The thing about Infinite is that this isn't just a sequel to Halo 5. This is... Five years later, this is the start of a new generation for a whole new bunch of players who've never played Halo before. It's the start of a new generation of people who stopped playing Halo 3, who stopped playing Halo 4, who maybe, you know, have only got peripheral awareness of the series. How do you build a sequel that is not going to alienate people? And I think 343 has come up with a pretty compelling answer to that in what they've shown thus far. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very well put answer. I mean, that's honestly, you know, we, we would love we would love to answer, you know, for ourselves the things that we would selfishly enjoy to have. But if you if you've heard several times on on the podcast, Josh and I have talked about how we just want to see what what game three four three wanted to make. That's what we want to see. Yeah, we want to see what they bring to the table, and we can. There's gonna be things we like. There's gonna be things we don't like, and um, we're just more interested at this point in seeing that rather than um, having either a, a committee of of ideas, you know, drove down a funnel into a product or, you know, just trying to uh, meet the fandom's needs. I think, and I, I don't want to get into this whole conversation because we can go a whole hour on this, but I think you've seen that with Star Wars. Yeah. Um, you've seen, you know, 
you've seen the, the originals and then the prequels was backlash and then you got the force awakens which you know largely made everyone happy to an extent obviously there's still people that had issues with it because but it was very much a soft reboot didn't do too much new then you had the last jedi which was very different you have people like yourself that adore that film my favorite one i i think i think it's great it's not my favorite one i don't have huge issues with it i really mm-hmm. do enjoy it it's 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 a very good film um so I guess I'm more in the middle on that, but most people either fall on The Last Jedi is one of the best films ever made, or it's garbage. It's like Halo 4. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it fits you. It fits you very well. Actually, yeah. there was a question I had way back at the beginning of Sacred Icon Halo where I was like, what do you guys think of these controversial releases? And I put Halo 4 and Last Jedi <laughs> uh, next to each other. Um, but then you get you get Rise of Skywalker, and it, it's like... Uh, mm. You know, like I said, like I said, we can go hours in conversation about this, but it's just it like Rise of Skywalker very much walked back things from Last Jedi and and, and Force tried... Awakens. I felt what's that? Uh, uh, as well as the Force Awakens as well, not just uh, not just Last Jedi that I felt it walked back. But uh, oh yeah, as you say, that would be another podcast unto itself. <laughs> exactly, and we we do oddball episodes here and there, so maybe at some point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Rise of Skywalker. You know, it tried to. You could see how it was trying to appeal to certain people, and it was trying to yeah. walk back these things, but then also keep a bit of those things to make people who like the thing okay. And you know, that's just. I think Josh and I very much have seen you know, what a heavy influence from fandom does to a product. I'm not saying that it's just the fans' issue behind Rise of Skywalker or anything like mm. that, but, um, you know, we I'd rather see what uh, the creatives want to make than have them try to appeal to a million different people. Yeah, I think they're at a point now where, they can, where they've got a bit more freedom to do what they want, because obviously Halo 4 had a, had a very troubled development history in itself. Uh, you know, you, they were building their team on the fly from a handful of people to about 200 uh, right up to the uh, the 11th hour. It wasn't until after Halo 4 was finished that they had a full complement of 300 people. Yeah. And Halo 5, obviously, you know, things that are known, things are not known about that development. There's all that. But now with Infinite, obviously, with the slip space engine that they've really taken time to, to build and retool stuff and with uh, sort of a sense of really getting back to re-examining Halo for, as a holistic entity that everyone can kind of connect to, it needs to be a bit of a reset point for everyone where we're all on the same page and then we can build from there in different directions towards different stories and open new doors rather than, you know, sort of trying to close old ones. Yeah. So, so when you think of, when you think of, you know, soft reboot, which is what infinite has been marketed as, do you, do you see them? And I know you don't have much to go off of, but do you see them doing something very similar to force awakens or something different than that? I think it would be different. Um, in going back to the, you know, the Halo 1 sort of sense of approach that they're taking, it feels kind of like anything could happen. It feels like we could be moving straight on from things. It feels like we could be, like, back in the nitty-gritty of the created conflict. Who knows, really? I, I certainly have things that I would like to happen. I don't know whether they will, but, uh, you know, we're at a point now where I've kind of, I've made my peace with with Halo 5. I, I have my issues with it, obviously, still. I have things I love about it still, you know, absolutely adore. And I would love to see them in Infinite. I don't think they're going to show up in Infinite, but I don't know. 
and because I don't know, I don't want to get into the trap of like saying, well, it needs to happen and then this needs to happen. Yeah. And I think people can, can get quite granular about these things, you know, right down to how they specifically need to occur. I think obviously, you know, we're going to have things to criticize. We're going to have things to talk about. Let's wait and see what they are. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think we, we set ourselves up for disappointment when we do that. It is, you made a good point. It's kind of crazy sometimes how specific we get on our expectations. Mm. You know, having having the didact in the game, that's that's one expectation, but but some people will be like, they, they, they have decided how he shows up, when he shows up, where he shows up, <laughs> yeah. what he's wearing, what he's been doing. It's like... <laughs> you spoiled the game for yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a little too far uh, mm. for expectations' sake. Um, so what is uh, what what's a new Halo game ritual look like for Alex? Like when Ooh. when this game comes out, what does that night look like? Are you playing on the PC, the Series X, the your Xbox One? Uh, what are you doing? Uh, I currently have an Xbox One X, uh, but I would very much like to update uh, when it comes out to the to the new console and a lovely 4K TV. That would be a very nice thing to possess, mm-hmm. so I can experience the full grandia of you know setting foot on installation 07 for the first time but uh it will involve a lot of jumping up and down in my room with with some measure of joy i imagine (laughs) holding the the case which will hopefully be a lovely steel book of uh, of a, a limited or legendary edition and maybe i'll have a helmet as well maybe that will be included in it so i missed out on halo 3 but maybe halo yeah. infinite will have um it will be a solitary experience uh, just sitting down diving straight into the campaign probably on heroic that's what i always start off on yep same here and just getting through to it, through that story to take in everything hopefully there'll be a theater mode or a photo mode or some variation of it in that campaign so I can spend as many hours taking pictures as I can actually playing the game. Yeah. And preparing yourself for the infinite amount of articles you'll be Oh yeah, I've already like started writing down like things I sort of ideas that I have that like topics might come up and it's like oh you know I'll, I'll sort of plan this in advance and see whether whether this comes up and if it doesn't then okay I'll move on to something else but if it does oh I'm prepared I am yeah that's gonna be great it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be such a great time because you know every content creator out there is gonna be putting out more content than ever but then everyone's gonna want to just be playing the game they're not gonna want to be <laughs> yes. on the Twitter or, or reading articles or watching videos exactly um but yeah, I, I when I, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. Whenever a new Halo game comes out, it's very much for me. I want to be uh, by myself usually, and I want to have you know the mood set or the you know everything set up so I can just sit there and take in that campaign mm. on my own. And when Halo Four came out, I had I could not the situation I was in. I could not get to work off the next day, so I sat oh. and I played Halo Four from beginning to end. And then I went to work the next morning feeling awful, but I didn't regret it at all. <laughs> a changed man. Yeah, I, I came in and I came in. And all of my coworkers were like, "Man, Halo Four is awesome." You know, I'm, I'm on the second mission or whatnot. I'm like, I beat it <laughs> the whole game. <laughs> like, how did you beat it? We just we came out at midnight, uh, but I just had to know. And it, it was 
like I said, you know, this all comes full circle. This is, you know, this is how I eventually found your blog because I was just, mm. I played that game and I was just so stunned by the quality of that campaign. And then just to see so many people hating it, it was just uh, so hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, people reference the, the Halo cycle. So they say, I don't, I don't believe in that concept myself, but it has been nice in recent years to see some of the reevaluation of Halo 4, people getting a bit more positive on it. And to know that I have had some, some hand in that over sure. the years, you know, I had people coming to me in, in the comments back in 2014, when I was writing the level by level analysis saying, you know, you've really changed my mind about this. And, oh, I didn't know this bit of context. And now this completely changes everything when I play the game. It's really nice to, to see that, to feel that and to kind of move forward having had that impact where you, you know, you start having more conversations with these people and they really want to know, they always want to know more. And there's, there's so much more to tell them always. So it's just focusing on the positive as we're doing now. And, uh, you know, just in general is, is always better ultimately than, uh, than sort of doomsaying and being downbeat. Yeah, it's uh, it's got to feel good because I I can I can't count how many times I've been in Halo threads, whether it be on a particular forum, Halo Waypoint, or Twitter or whatnot, and someone is <laughs> someone's trying to defend Halo Four or whatnot, and they throw out this their weapon, which is a, a Haruspis article. <laughs> like I'm not even involved in the conversation. I just see the the debate, and then boom, link to Haruspis article. Mm. You know, yeah, uh, it's. It's especially nice when the names attached to that are uh, Steve Downs and uh, and Chris oh, yeah. Schlerf and various other uh, other people. I mean, just last a few months ago in November, I wrote about Halo 4's uh, soundtrack. It's my favorite in the series as well. And Neil Davidge saw, I saw it, that. and uh, he mess. I messaged him on Facebook uh, because I saw I saw it posted, just saying, "Oh, you know, thanks for the share." And he said, "Well, I'm in London, um, you know, for for the next day or two." Um, come along, let's meet up and let's have a chat. Wow. <laughs> and wow. So I did. And he is a brilliant, lovely guy. Uh, I, was, I love I that was, soundtrack. I, That's amazing, dude. Yeah, yeah. It was a, a big fanboy moment for myself. But, uh, it, it, you know, it creates opportunities when you do things like this. I got to visit 343 in 2018 after I had left teaching. Um, after all the content I had produced, you know, I had a, an invitation to go over uh, I went to go see them, I went to go see Bungie, and when it, it just changes your perspective when you get to see it in person and speak to these people, because I think a lot of perceptions get kind of built around, you know, how you see them, not as human beings, but as developers or as yeah. the, the, the masterminds behind the story. In reality, they are fans as well, and they they see things very much on the same kind of wavelength as as how we do, but also... The, when, when you speak to them, it opens up your own mind to changing your perspective on things and having a greater understanding of why things were the way they were. That's that's such a great perspective, and I, I love that you said that, and I hope that that can, you know, for all of us that have not, you know, personally uh, been around the people from 343 or visited them or whatnot, hopefully they can take your perspective that you just shared and can give them an inkling of, of what it might be like for them, you know mm. what I mean? Uh, it's something we all fall prey to. I still fall prey to it right now. And I, you know, it, even when it's an industry you work in, it's like you, you have your hills to die on and the the sort of upward curvature of emotional progress one is to make 
is hopefully to have fewer hills to die on and really sort of like be a bit more open-minded about things and why they are. Yeah, I think one of the first conversations I had with you on Twitter was we kind of talked, I think we kind of talked about that where we had, you and I both had much stronger, maybe emotionally charged uh, opinions four or five years ago Mm. that, you know, the time between Halo 5 and Infinite has, uh, you know, probably matured us in several ways and given us time to reflect and yeah, not not we're not so high strung as we might have been, you no. know, around the time Halo Five came out. Does that sound right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, a lot. While there are certain you know aspects of those analyses that I will stand by as like the criticism is what I would still make. You know, a, a lot of it was sort of uh, my my depression disguised as criticism, mm. uh, in a sense, and how you sort of read personally into these things yeah and when when you do that it's a real trap that uh, that you will fall into because it's not personal it was never meant to be that nobody sat down while making halo 5 and said oh we're gonna piss this harris guy off today yeah that's <laughs> what we're gonna do that's how we're gonna write this story nobody said that yeah uh, and so to kind of take it that way for any piece of media is like just uh, it's not what i want to do yeah no i'm we're completely on the same page i know josh feels the same way and uh, honestly that's this is the best possible spot i could have uh, asked to end this episode on and i just wanted to uh thank you for for talking with me alex i i love all the the work you've done um on your articles and the the, the way you've helped people come to uh find their love for halo 4 or maybe another aspect of the halo universe that they they hadn't seen um, it's just really refreshing, and uh, I just I'm just really glad you could uh, talk with me today. Very much the same sentiments to you, Brian. Uh, the Sacred Icon Twitter and podcast. I've been listening to it at lunch whenever I can at work, and uh, it's just a wonderful beacon of positivity in the community, which is you know what we should all aspire to be, even when we're even when we don't uh, always live up to it. That means more than you can imagine. I, I really appreciate those words, Alex. Um, do you want to throw out your, um, your all your info so people can find you? Yeah, um, you know, you can. All all of my stuff is very much under the same name, so it's at Harrisbis on Twitter and it's Harrisbis.blog for for my WordPress, where uh, you know you can find all those lengthy analyses that you can spend whole weekends reading through if you have the time, and if you don't have the time. That is entirely understandable. <laughs> You're telling me that you don't have, like, when you when you try to make an account, the name's not taken already? That's weird. Occasionally. I, I had to change my Xbox Live name um, to Ur Harrisbiss, like the Ur Didact, oh. because somebody had actually taken the, the just the Harrisbiss name. I was like, who's done that? It was probably from you, too, wasn't it? It yeah, has to be. <laughs> probably. That would, I, I, my OCD would get, I would be really irritated. <laughs> mm. But it's funny because there is actually a YouTube account called Harrisbiss made in 2006. And I have no idea how that could have happened. It must be a time traveler. Maybe I will time travel back to 2006 at some point and do that. I don't know why I'd do that. Why that would be the first thing I'd do when I time travel, but who knows. Sounds like you've been watching a lot of Doctor Who. Very much so. <laughs> I'm All right. A lot of Doctor Who right now. Yeah, I, 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 I went, I went right to you. My wife showed me Doctor Who, and the first person I thought, I guess I got to tell Alex about this. I got to <laughs> tell him that I've been watching it. So we're only on the the second Doctor uh, now, but 
it's been a it's been a great great time and Fantastic. a way to connect with my wife because she's showing me that for the first time. But awesome. um, yeah, Alex, uh, I really I really appreciate it. And uh, if you guys want to contact me, I'm at Brian's Bane. Josh is at Jovial Joshy. We have a website at uh, sacrediconhalo.com. And as always, we're on the Twitter at sacrediconhalo. So uh, guys, just uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Peace, guys. Keep it sacred.